0: Hi everyone, welcome to Like A Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Women Lit, where we talk about books and just about everything else. I'm Joraine.
1: I'm Christina. And I'm Ashley.
0: So while on Instagram and scrolling and I saw that Booker's Literature Festival in Trinidad are crowdsourcing 100 books from, well, 100 books that made us from the Caribbean. So they're asking everyone to come up with a list of books that really impacted them that were published in the Caribbean, written about the Caribbean, or written by Caribbean authors, which set in the Caribbean. And since that's something we talk about all the time, we thought this would be a great way to just fit it into a podcast episode. However, we won't be talking about 100 books because our podcast episodes are already pretty long. That would probably be a six hour episode. Don't think we have the fan base for that yet, but we'll go through a few of them. So yeah, I'm pretty excited to hear. That was really funny, <laughs> Uh But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you guys what, what you have on your list to contribute to the 100 books from the Caribbean.
1: All right. So I have the book in my hand right now. My first pick for my Caribbean book that made me is... Drumroll, please. Crick. Crack by Edwidge Danticat from Haiti. I freaking love this, nice. port, this collection. I like anthologies. I think it's easier for me to get through a book if it's a collection of short stories rather than one long novel. Um, I don't know. Maybe I have like undiagnosed... Uh, what's it called? ADHD. Like it's just my attention span is not there 100%. But this... Uh, Book by Edwige Danticat. I. It's a beautiful collection of stories, mainly focusing on women. You call her Edwidge. Oh my God, Christina! Christina, we always have this thing with how we pronounce people's names. Okay, listen to me. I heard a credible source. What is it, Edwidge?
0: Yeah. I've always mm. heard Edwidge. You're the first person <laughs> I heard that said
1: Edwidge.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how far you've been losing on the pronunciation <laughs> phone listen really? listen it's I Femme you- I'll always get behind that okay I used to pronounce it Edwidge but I heard from a credible source the pronunciation of her name this guy who is a professor and he's like he's he specializes in Haitian in Haitian history and uh, dr matthew smith uh, or professor matthew smith at UI, and we were talking about um crick crack and he pronounced her name edwige and so from that i was just like okay well clearly this is a pronunciation because dr smith knows everything about haiti so this is how i pronounce her name now okay that's all i'm saying and he's friends with her and he's friends with her
2: but she's made a credible argument, unlike the first couple of times. So I'll I'll accept this.
1: <laughs> Listen, he says Edwige Danticat. Okay, clearly in a more like sophisticated um, Haitian accent, but uh, Edwige is what he said. I distinctly <laughs> remember that. I distinctly remember that. Anyway, so. Um, beautiful collection. I read it first when I was taking a literature course at UI with uh, Isis, actually, Dr. Isis Samaj. She had a great course. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was all about, like, Caribbean literature and uh, mainly focusing on, like, a lot of women authors from the Caribbean. And it was just, uh, sometimes I'm sad when I think about my university. very responsible. yet realistic like i connected with the the classes i felt like before i was kind of going through the motions of the different required courses that i was supposed to do and then when i started selecting courses that i was genuinely interested in things just was just infinitely better for me but anyway um beautiful collection the story I think I like the most is the one that... I think is probably the last one. Let me just flip through. Um, Caroline's Wedding. Um, it talks about uh, the mother who... She has two daughters. One uh, has not really a disability, but like a deformity. Um, she has... Uh, she lost like an appendage, but uh, she never let that stop her. She has a very fruitful life and she was, um, in the process of getting married to this guy that, um, so the, the, the family is based in, I think, New York and, um, the mom, I believe was like a nanny and, um, she poured a lot of herself into her work that meant a stable um income for her and her girls um but that meant that she was kind of absent from her family life and so her children felt a little disconnected with her and then also just the hmm, what would i call it the experience of her fleeing haiti to come and settle in um the states uh, is you know the immigrant experience comes at a lot comes up a lot in a lot of different books, and this one is just uh, similar but still like very. It's I don't want to give too much away in case no um someone hasn't read it. Christina, I think you said that you didn't read it, but um, it speaks a lot to family and family relationships and uh, finding your path through difficult circumstances. It talks about love in the midst of war and tension and uh, um uh, I don't know it was just a very it was a book that really touched me not that I didn't really see myself in it but it was great to hear and read not hear read the stories of uh, characters that are based in the Caribbean that are not Jamaica that's not Jamaica that was I mean, I love to see and read about a Jamaican novel or a Jamaican collection of stories. But this was just, I think, uh, one of my first uh, introductions to books outside of Jamaica. Okay, no, that's a lie. But I never... Okay, what I think I'm trying to say is I never... I don't think I read any books from Haiti before this. And this was my first one, and I'm not mad at it. So... That's what I have to say. That's my first choice. I wish I read more Edwidge
2: Edwidge Ticat. The first book I have ever read from her was actually a rebel woman lit pick. I think it was Entwine or is it Entwine? Entwine. That was good though. That was a good book too. Really sad book too. But uh, yeah, that was my first introduction to her. But I've heard so many amazing things about her and her writing. And I'm looking at my bookshelf and I think I have one of her books. So... Now I'm going to go read it. But uh, my, my first choice in terms of books that made me, it would be Annie John by Jamaica Kincaid. I remember we read this book in, I think it would have been third form or grade nine. Yes, and yes. I do remember this book having quite an impact on me because I think it would have been one of my first introductions to Caribbean girlhood. Um, I think the Caribbean books that we would have read before, like, um, what's that one, Young Warriors, and My Father, son, son Johnson, those are the two books that we read um, in high school in literature in both first and second form. And those books were centered around men. Um, for the most part, though they were good books, they were centered around men and boys and I and so this was my first introduction to girlhood and girlhood, written in the way that it was and I think Jamaica Kincaid did such a great job of capturing um curiosity in your girlhood, um curiosity about your bodies. I think everybody remembers that one scene when all the girls were there just feeling up each other's breasts and that that was so relatable to me one because whenever I look back on my childhood there were so many so many instances of me and girls doing things um and I think a lot of it was out of curiosity you know exploration of our bodies and um others bodies and uh, i really i really appreciated that again because it would have been something that i didn't um have before and then the whole um all girls setting and all three of us went to all girls schools it was also relatable in that sense and uh, it's always great uh Reading Caribbean experiences, as Ashley said, um experiences that are outside of Jam- Caribbean experiences that are outside of Jamaica because one of the things that it does is that while it shows the uniqueness of each um Caribbean island Caribbean country, it also demonstrates the familiarity and similarity between all of them just and that sort of connection. I've always loved it, I've always liked reading or hearing the experiences of other Caribbean islands and being able to go, yeah, we've done that too, or that's a part of our culture, or that's a part of what we've done. And I actually plan to reread it tonight if I can.
0: It's so funny that for you, that's the feeling you had reading Annie John, because for me, it was the feeling I had reading another Jamaica Kincaid book, which is A Small Place. And that would be easily the number one book from the Caribbean that helped shape me. Uh, So unlike her other books, A Small Place is nonfiction, but it's a creative nonfiction. It's very, very short. I believe it's about 80 pages. And what she does in it is offers a post-colonial view of her island, her country, that's Antigua what it's like living in Antigua as a citizen and what wealth distribution looks like, what tourism and the economy looks like. And for me, just reading that was extremely powerful. And I think it was one of the first books I read where I was just screaming, oh my God, yes, everyone needs to be reading this book. Why has no one told me about this book before? And it's probably early high school and no one that I knew at the time had these very strong, cynical, political views. And I absolutely love her. I fell in love with her voice. I fell in love with post-colonial criticisms through that book and it was just an amazing eye-opener for me. And I looked back at my Goodreads and I realized that the books that made me, I never actually reviewed them because I would have read them so long ago. And now I feel like I need to go back and reread it. Uh, but one of the quotes that I really, really love that I highlighted in the book had to do with language, which is a thing that we've been talking about a lot. And just to show how snarky and witty Jamaica Kincaid is and at the same time so deeply critical was she has a quote that says for isn't it odd that the only language I have to speak of this crime is the language of the criminal who committed the crime and I was just like holy fucking shit like Jamaica Kincaid lit the fire for my anti-imperialist views just through that very short book and it's such beautiful writing but she does an amazing job of criticizing the government criticizing of course the UK and I've never been to Antigua yet when I read the book I could see everything from getting off the airplane to driving down the road seeing the library that is closed down and nobody wants to fix it and it's It's just an amazing book. And the reception that she got initially was largely negative, of course, from the authorities. She talks about not being able to freely visit home for some time because I think as Caribbean people, as much as we know when things are systemically wrong, we don't want to say it, especially you don't want to say it to an international audience because you're going to make things look bad and cheap did that and for me it's fine like we need more criticism we need more critical voices and we need anti-imperialist voices and if anyone watched what's the name of that movie that there's a documentary that used some of the words from it uh um Jamaica for Sale yes so the intro for Jamaica for Sale actually excerpts from Jamaica Kincaid's book, A Small Place. So if you've ever watched that movie, the introductory words, and I think she narrates a lot of it as well, are excerpts from this book. So it's very relevant for Jamaica, very relevant for, I imagine, a lot of islands and a lot of countries that are post-colonial and relies heavily on tourism and it's... And we can see now how deeply intertwined our economies and our survival is to these colonial and these empire states. So that was one book that really impacted me. And I think everyone needs to read that book. Everyone in the Caribbean especially needs to read that book. There's no way you read that book and feel nothing.
2: I'm definitely going to add that to my list. And um, on Jamaica Kincaid and just her ability to critique in one of the most profound ways. I think I was recalling her short story, Girl, which you can Google and you'll find it in the New Yorker. Um, It's not one of the things that necessarily made me because I happened upon it um, recently, like maybe two or three years ago. And uh, I remember being extremely blown away by it because she did such an excellent job of capturing how um, I'm going to say Caribbean girlhood again. um, Just how a lot of our lives uh, since we're able to do chores, let me say that, um, or form proper sentences since that time we've been getting, so many instructions on how to be a girl and um, and how that will prepare us to be a particular kind of woman and so the so much of the poem or well the short story is the constant instructions that we get on what we need to do. So the sort of chores that we need to do, how we need to wash white clothes, um, how we need to sit, the things that we should try to stray away from. And it's just a reminder of how girlhood can sometimes be or sound and seem like a cage and how within our girlhood, girlhood there's not much freedom. We don't get um, the opportunity and the chance to be carefree, to be explorative, exploratory. I don't know what the word is there. The proper word is there. Um, we don't get a lot of opportunities to set our curiosities to to. Sate our need for adventure within our girlhood because it's like this constant preparation for womanhood and not just womanhood either, but wifehood. And it was so poignant. It was so necessary and again I don't recall a Caribbean writer writing about that particular subject I of course could be wrong I'm sure that many writers have done that but it was the first time I've ever seen it captured in this particular way where it's literally all the instructions that we've ever gotten and I saw um, the Rebel Woman Lit account uh, quote one of the lines I'm looking at the thing right now and I can't find it but anyway, I think it's about slutdom. Was that it, Jerry? Oh, that was a response
0: to a question she was asked. So she read she read oh well, she read excerpts from Girl, and one of the questions that was asked is if she took her mother's advice. Because in Girl, as I said, there is a list of things that her mother is telling her, This is what you do, this is what you don't do, and all the expectations you should have. And one of them is She should learn how to sew and just basically don't be a slut. Yeah, don't be a slut. And one of the questions from the audience was if she took her mother's advice and she said she didn't get a chance to be a slut and she regrets not having that chance because it seems like such an enjoyable life to have. So, yeah, listen to your elders and (laughs) slut out if you want.
1: That is relatable.
2: (laughs) seriously and it goes back to what i was saying about just the opportunity to be free the idea of slut and i think what people hate about people who they call sluts is that there's a sort of carefreeness and uh, an agency that we don't typically like in women in queer people we don't like that we don't like that they're exerting any sort of agency or um owning any sort of freedom in spaces where they were previously told are not for them and uh, it's 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 uh it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy uh the second actually what's no, your oh yeah. no 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 i just spoke go ahead ashley
1: okay i don't know i feel like we're so in sync um because uh, Before we started our conversation, I chose my books, right? And then you guys are talking about Caribbean girlhood. And that absolutely explains my second pick, which is another book that I read in school. But this was um, something that I would have been exposed to in high school. And that's Becca Lamb. There's something about this story that's just absolutely... hmm. It's beautiful, but it's also just very mm, full of like, uh, like uh, a lot of uh, hmm. <laughs> wow. I don't even have words to describe it, right and I'm sorry that I'm I'm feeling a little stumped. But it, there's just a lot of naivety in it, but a lot of also just like curiosity, and I just I love that this this book uh, follows uh, um 14 year old Becca and uh, it's uh, not really a coming of age, but also kind of. Um, it's set in Belize, and it's another book, or I think, uh, yeah, another book that I was exposed to that, that was outside of Jamaica, and that dealt with uh, um, issues that uh, a lot of, caribbean countries deal with so what is your like post-colonial identity and like that struggle for independence and finding your footing now that you don't have a colonizer um but also just uh, reading about uh, similarities that uh, a lot of caribbean islands share so one of the things that stand out uh, um in this book for me was that it was the first time I ever saw and I'm sorry if it's sometimes I think back to it and I just feel like this sounds so naive but like it's the first time I ever saw like Bougainville on pages you know you read books and you see tulips you see roses you see god knows whatever else like it was the first time I saw Bougainville and I was like I know exactly what that looks like I have I passed the aboganolla bush every single day and I remember it talking about the different colors of Bougainville and how the white ones are very rare and I'm like you know that's actually really true because you always see the pink ones and never really white ones but I just I love this book um, I was just reading through briefly the wikipedia page for it and I don't remember the plot in in like any huge detail but uh, um I do remember her or Becca having like, not necessarily the same curiosity as Anne John. I don't necessarily remember it being like this sexual exploration coming of age type book. But I know that she had an older friend who was a little bit of a rebel. People would class her as she got pregnant um, at 17 and she got kicked from school because of that. And it's interesting how our conversations tie into exactly what this book is talking about about just being free as a woman to own your body is labeled as slut and then you get um punished for that so a lot of people a lot of women unfortunately have to end their schooling because they have that experience and uh, it's just uh, it's frustrating. To, the responsibilities or the perceived responsibilities or roles that women have in this life. Um, and I like books that challenge that. I like books with characters like Becca who are curious and who will stand up to um, the people who are supposed to know what they're doing, in quotes and quotes. I remember her having a, not a challenging, but her having a, a or I'll say challenging relationship with her father and um him him um wanting her to be a certain way and um I just was reminded when I was reading through on the page was that he chopped down her favorite tree in the in the garden of their house um which was the bougainvillea tree because they notoriously grow pretty wildly and pretty like you really have to put a lot of effort into them for them to (laughs) grow in a very neat and conforming type of way. And that was very symbolic to him wanting Becca to, okay, you're 14 now, you're growing up, you're becoming a woman, you need to behave in a certain way that women behave. And we all know that's docile, that's letting things happen to you and doing your uh, maternal or coming to terms with your maternal responsibilities or future maternal responsibilities and uh, i just uh, i love that becca was just like in her own way was just like no i will do things my way or i'll continue to figure out what i should do i think uh, um i like to see like i felt like i saw myself in becca's character having or being raised in a very mm, correct way um where you, ha- you show respect, you show manners, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I feel like um, at a at a level you get to, or if you do that enough, you kind of do it automatically. And so no matter what the situation is, you try to preserve your correctness or your politeness and not necessarily... Um, your self-respect and so it's unlearning all of that which is challenging but it's good that you can see you see characters in books that go through that and you can you can learn from it and you can um you can say oh well I can actually apply this method to my own life and so I'm appreciative that I'm able to read books like that and also the author Z Edgel um, she's from Belize too, which is—I think this is the only book from Belize I've—I've I've read, to be honest. But um, I would welcome books from Belize because I can't just have Becca Lamb's one perspective. But this was this was a good book; I liked it a lot. Um, someone
0: from Instagram who lives in Belize actually messaged the page because um, they were listening to the last podcast and. They were saying that they too also feel away whenever they pick up a book by a Belizean author and there's no reference to Belize in it. And I was asking just for recommendations about just Belizean books and doesn't seem like there's a lot, but she sent me a list of them and her name is Feline. Her Instagram handle is Urban Garifuna. Garifuna is a group of Indigenous people that live in Belize and I think there's just so many stories that we don't get because even Indigenous stories from the Caribbean I was trying to think of one and I couldn't so if anybody has any recommendations for that that'd be amazing because I do think we get a lot of Afro-Caribbean well We don't get a lot of Caribbean stories, but we do have Afro-Caribbean stories. We do have Indo-Caribbean stories, uh, even Chinese Caribbean stories that we can refer to, but not a lot of indigenous Caribbean stories. So
1: Uh,
0: just thinking about Belize and just how very diverse Belize is and how we just don't have that many Belizean books, it kind of makes me sad. So all Listen, the Belizean authors out there, oh my- we are ready to read your
1: books. I am ready to read your books, you Like that's, I that's a great point about not realizing how diverse culturally and like racially Belize is. I the first time I even came in contact with the word Garifuna was when I was fully at UI. I'm just like, what is that? I had a a classmate who was Garifuna and he was just telling me what that was and uh, I was just blown away because uh, we just don't hear those stories or you just don't come in contact with people who identify as those things or I don't I don't know maybe that's not it I don't know but uh, it's just uh, it was it blew me away and uh, I am I'm here to read all the Garifuna stories I think
2: I've um, heard mention of the Garifuna people um, maybe in passing a long time ago. And then it wasn't until uh, maybe two years ago I heard Professor Hilary Beckles mention the Garifuna people because I believe that he is or one of his parents um, are Garifuna. And uh, yeah, it really is a reminder of the diversity in ethnicities, in cultures, in histories that are in the Caribbean. And it also highlights whose histories um, get the chance to be told and whose don't. And it's downright sad and unfortunate that we don't, um, that those stories aren't shared widely across the Caribbean and not just, you know, um, the space not being dominated by one particular group. So I'm going to sound like a broken record because I would have mentioned this in, I think, maybe two podcasts ago, but it's Gardening in the Tropics um, by Olive Senior. And I'll never stop singing the praises of this book. I was first introduced to it in, I think, Upper Six English Lit or Lower Six, one of them. I think this poem really, not the poem, the collection of poems made me love poetry, like really love poetry. I remember being extremely excited to um, go to literature class to analyze and study and interpret one of Olive Senior's poems because not only does she have an excellent way with words, um, we can all agree to that, but the topics that she um chose to write on and the ways in which she captured them, it really helped to shape my own perspective um as a Caribbean woman living in the Caribbean, and what that means in terms of um my global positioning she I think she gave me permission to critique. Um, to critique the global North, she gave me permission to critique and recognize um, the so-called post-colonial world that we live in. In Jamaica, she made me realize that we're not so post-colonial, or as post-colonial as we would like to believe. That so many of our colonial legacies still exist in the way that we view the world, in the way that we view ourselves. Um I'm remembering I think it was Nut it Garden I wish I took up the book it's beside me but it's too far to grab Um I think it was Nut Garden though um where she discusses uh she discusses the difference in social class um as well as the difference in the sort of jobs that you have the way that people treat you um based on the sort of job that job that you have. I remember her talking about Higglers and vendors and how, you know, in the market, people might see them as a particular way, but... uh, check them after market luck and them move uptown, or well, them live uptown and them have a house uptown. But she also talks about um, how governments have continuously exploited and sold out their people for the benefit of global North governments. And I sincerely appreciated that. In the same way you mentioned and Jamaica Kincaid, in her book, How she sort of had an anti imperialist positioning. That's the same sort of feeling I got when I read Gardening in the Tropics. Yeah, it was just so good. Again, as we've always said, big up Olive Sina, any wish because I never expected that from a Caribbean writer. From the Caribbean writers that I've read before Olive Senior, I never got that sense of anti-imperialism or critiquing the government or mentioning our colonial past and its continued impact and effect on how we live our lives now. Having read anything from her in this particular collection, I was fucking mind blown. I could sit and talk about her for hours.
0: But
1: Yeah, I think we know... <laughs> yes, uh, um, Ms. senior If you're ever listening to this, Christina's your biggest fan. I think
2: we're all huge fans,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really glad that Christina was the one who got to
0: host her from Book Club. Yes,
1: yeah, that that's was true. So that's
0: nice. true. <laughs> and she didn't want to do it. So
2: nice. Of course. What? Why? so excited it was anxiety. You were nervous? I
0: know how it worked, uh, right? Yeah. it's fine. I know what's best for you.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I don't know what's best for you. The me.
1: rebel woman, late godmother. Oh, dear.
0: Oh, yes. Um. So my my second book is... The Fair of Stones and other stories by Kai Miller, which I'm now realizing is out of print. And I am very upset because every time I have bought this book and I've loaned it out, I've never gotten it back. And now it seems that I won't be able to get a new copy of this book. I will be sending a very long email to the publishers in the morning about this book. (laughs) (laughs) So... The Fair of Stones was my introduction to Kai Miller. I believe it was his first published work, if not his second. And I read this in high school. And what made it very pivotal for me was it's the first time I read a fiction work from the Caribbean that made me go, "Holy fucking shit! I want to read more Caribbean books." So of course, there were Caribbean books that we read in school, um, but none of them really grabbed me, to be quite honest. A lot of them I I just didn't have an interest in. And Fair of Stones was an amazingly diverse collection that dealt with, oh my gosh, it dealt with everything. But it was so much about place. And this is something that you could see throughout all of Kai's work. There's a very strong sense of positionality of yourself politically and also just physically here in Jamaica, what does that mean, what does that represent and Fair of Stones oh gosh I'm getting short of breath just thinking about that book, that book was very impactful, there's this one story in it that he has with the pastor at a funeral and the pastor saying all of these very dramatic things and it was just such amazing use of comedy and I could see and feel all the characters on the page and that book, I went to my literature teacher after and I was like, why aren't we reading this? Why can I find, we're like, where can I find more books that are just like this? It was the first time also I saw unrecognized queer representation in literature. There's this one short story about, um, uh, a young man who is gay and just dealing with that in Jamaica and I believe it was a title of the story I really wanted to go back through the book before this podcast so I could go through details but it was talking about the fear of stones um, and what does that mean for someone in the Caribbean and I'm sure there's so much that would have gone over my head in high school but that book for me was pivotal to Without that book, I know I wouldn't be the type of reader that I am today. I know that Rebel Woman would not have existed because I would not have had an interest in reading it. Or I would have been a much different type of reader without that book. And I would have probably just been stuck in reading nonfiction if not for that book, not for those characters. And how much I laughed and cried reading that collection and I'm so upset that it's out of print. And now I feel like I need to jog my memory to find out who did I lend my books to because I need them back. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It was written in 2006. I believe Kai was like 24, 26, 24, 25, 26, somewhere around that age when it was published. And I really want to reread it. And I hope that I love it as much as I did when I read it in second form. So that book really just changed the whole game for me with Caribbean literature. That to me was now the standard for what I wanted my contemporary Caribbean literature to be. And yeah, it, it, it was it was the book for me in terms of fiction from the Caribbean that changed everything. And I was, and I was able to look back at older Caribbean fiction and appreciate it more because of that book. And of course look forward to new contemporary voices and what that would mean.
2: You know what I'd love to hear? I'd love to hear what, what book made everyone, um, Become obsessed or well interested in Caribbean literature because I feel like a lot of us here in the Caribbean, I feel like for a lot of us, Caribbean literature wasn't our first introduction to the book world. And so it would be really great to find out um, what was that one book that made you go, All right, but we need more of this.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to find that out too because I know. Most of us grew up reading like Nancy Drew or some other American or European book right. that was just all over pharmacies.
2: So, mm-hmm. and we never read. We ne- we wouldn't have read anything from the Caribbean. We wouldn't have read anything from the Caribbean until high school, and by that time, I'm guessing because for a lot of people, well, not let me not say a lot, but I'm assuming that for some people. Because it was academic or school related, they might not have derived as much pleasure from reading it. so it would be great to find out like what was that one book that you read either in high school or outside of high school that made you go, okay, Caribbean literature needs to sit on my bookshelf and need to have it.
1: But Joanne, hold on <laughs> I'm shocked. I just I just clicked on Fairstone right, and it sent me to Amazon and you can purchase it. A paperback for nine hundred dollars. What? Yes, what? it's eight hundred and ninety-nine dollars for a used paperback. <laughs> oh, a fair of Stones. My God, <laughs>
2: that's what
0: happens when books go out of print.
2: Oh yes, that's oh the same thing. That I
0: can probably find it at a bookstore. Maybe I used probably.
1: Maybe, maybe not. That's what happened to me and my um, Maxine Walters book, Serious Things Are Gonna Happen. Like people were reselling that book for thousands of US dollars when I was trying to get it. And then I just kind of like said, okay, well, clearly I won't be able to get this book. And I was at the National Gallery because they had, I think it was the summer exhibition. And in their gift shop, they had the book. And I just grabbed it up. Like I got, I felt like I, it was 5 grand it was still a lot of money but i was just like yo this
2: far less than is
1: far less US than 2000 us dollars so i was just like ah and then i yeah. ran into maxine like maybe a year later and i told her about it and she she thought it was a great story so i mean full circle moment <laughs> i'm actually oh, look at me saying maxine one like one. i know this lady and whatsapp her on a daily basis miss <laughs> <Ms>. walters
2: <laughs> not yet um, right not yet you guys are gonna cross paths i feel it in my bones uh so i i was looking on my bookshelf trying to find a third book because initially we were gonna do three um And I landed on Caribbean slavery in the Atlantic world. Now, I haven't read that entire book, obviously. It's like massive. I think it can be considered a tome um, for Caribbean history. And uh, I remember the first time I would have been introduced to this book was in sixth form history. And I hate, I didn't like history in sixth form. Um, I would have mentioned this in some podcasts already too. I never really liked it, but um, post sixth form during university, when I got more interested in Caribbean history um I went back to this book and read a couple of the essays in there. It's a compilation of essays beautifully excellently researched essays from um Caribbean academics from historians to sociologists to um, economic historians and it's compiled by Professor Hil- professors Hilary Beckles and Vereen Shepard two of the Caribbean's greatest historians and one of the things that I loved or that I still do love about this collection is that it did the job that um, so many of us needed it to do because if you've ever done history in Jamaica, um, a lot of the ways in which we're taught history, it's definitely from... Um, it's from a particular perspective. I don't know if it's necessarily from um, a white perspective, uh, but it's told in such a way where it doesn't necessarily give the full story. And so in this collection... um. I think it opened up the door to me to um, look at enslaved people as actual people, and looked at the different um, the different ways in which colonialism and enslavement and the plantocracy completely impacted and changed the world, and the different areas in which it changed um, changed our lives and. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? But yeah, the 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 different way, the different industries and um, aspects that it impacted and influenced. I remember reading um, a particular essay. I think it was written by Professor Hilary Beckles. He was talking about um, sex and racism, not racism sex and colonialism on the plantation system and just how women's bodies were um seen as what do you call it a machine i guess you can call it a machine in terms of production and labor and not just in terms of repro- of um procreating and um producing children um to add to the the labor force but for sex too and uh, For a lot of it, a lot of it was essentially rape, but also it was how these women um, sort of used their bodies as a kind of resistance as well, um, and a sort of quasi-agency, not really, but still sort of. And it's just a book that really opens up the door to so many different areas that you would have wouldn't have been taught um in school or if you didn't go on to do like graduate level history and I think honestly I think that everybody should try to read something from this book it can be a bit cumbersome um, because the essays are really long there some of them are like 30 pages long but it's very useful especially if you want to develop your perspective on um the Caribbean's position in the global world. If you want to add on to your knowledge in terms of um, slavery, what happened um, during slavery, but also post-slavery, and one of the other great things that I loved about it, I think it was my it was the first time that I ever um, read a slave narrative. I think it was my first introduction to the likes of Mary Prince and the other one, I think his name is Aloda something, Echino, I don't remember. But it was my first introduction to um, enslaved people or people who were formerly enslaved speaking and giving their own experiences of life on the plantation and what that was like for them. And just like when we discussed um, the confessions of Franny Langton, it really changes your perspective because you get this broad brush brush, monolithic view of um, people in slavery. And here are these people giving us um, their actual experiences. And they're not all the same. They're of course all terrible because of the system it was under, but they weren't all the same. And uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, as you
0: were talking, I was thinking that would be a great companion read for the confessions of Franny Langton
1: in terms of personalizing history. So yeah. That didn't we say that we would try to come up with a syllabus for Rebel Woman Lit? We could add this to the syllabus.
2: I think this is one, this is an expensive book if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, most academic books are hella expensive. It's
2: extremely expensive. I think I got this one from someone. What is the tradition in high school where, you know, somebody who had the book before you and say, just pass it on. Um, Yeah. That's how I ended up with this book. And the other one, oh, oh, it's right there on my shelf. Let me find it. Uh, Caribbean Freedom, right? Both those books go excellently together both of them edited and compiled by hillary beckles and rain Shepard, but yeah
1: listen those two were making bank okay
2: really were but they were also making waves like
1: (laughs) bank and waves i I love it
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like my first introduction to women's active participation in resistance was through the writings and works of Varian Shepherd, who would have learned from Lucille Matherin-Meyer. Because when you're doing Caribbean history, you don't don't get the sense that women actively participated in the resistance and revolution um, planning and um, that sort of activity. You... Get the sense that they were on the back burner or that they weren't that they were passively involved, but they played extremely um active roles. I think, if I remember correctly, it's it's stated maybe stated isn't the word, but it's thought that the first fire in the um champagne. Sam Sharp Rebellion was started by a woman. The first. No, it's fire. not thought.
0: It, it, it is a thing.
2: It is. okay. Yeah, great. she was
0: charged for it. Right. So oh, I didn't I was know that. To actually, if
2: it was fabled or if it's something that was in question, but no, yeah, it, so
0: that she was charged for doing that.
2: Right. So the first woman to start. um
0: The first fire, fire that was to, lit.
2: The first fire that was lit on one of the plantations was by a woman, and so and even then. Um, one of the things that Varian Shepard did was to prop up or highlight that a lot of the sort of resistance that women did were indeed actually very important. And that's also important to any discussion on abortion and abortion rights, is that this is something that has existed for um, centuries and that African and Caribbean women, women have been practicing it as a form of agency, as a form of um, liberation, call it that. So, yeah, go get these books, fam.
0: I think you guys both picked really amazing books in terms of just the books that made you. And I'm curious to see what the book house final 100 list is going to look like.
2: I am too. And I feel like I'm going to be looking out because I know that there are a lot of books that are probably add to my never ending to be read to be read book. So that should be exciting.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to shout out the um I guess the effort by um the car- what school curriculum I suppose that allowed us to come in contact with certain books i mean yes there's still way more work to be doing during i mean you spoke about um why you know like people like Miller are not on our syllabus or syllabi but uh, we had some good introductions with uh, um annie john and with becca Lam and uh, i think they definitely need to all of seen you yeah, Olive Senior. You know, they definitely need to include more Caribbean authors, man. We have Nicole Dennis Ben, we have uh, Kai Miller, we have, uh, um, what's her name? Naomi Jackson, we have Nayla Hopkinson, we have Lorna Goodison. I mean, Lorna Goodison, we would have been introduced to her work too, but just one and two points. Like, she writes books as well, and we could read those books. We need time now for. Put the Shakespeare aside and read more Caribbean Mm -hmm. literature, man. Really, like, we have uh, diverse stories. This was a really good podcast episode. I enjoyed recording it. I've been feeling really weird lately, and I'm not sure. I guess it's the whole coronavirus thing, but just... I don't know. I just feel very frustrated and a mixture of other emotions that I can't really understand. And this is very refreshing. This is a nice pick me up. So thank you guys for the great conversation. Oh, thank you, Ashley. I feel the same way. Literally every
0: time we record, it's just like a breath of fresh air.
1: It is. Yo, Chris, Dam you're making me really want to read that Pharaoh Stones book, you know. But do I have eight, nine hundred US dollars to shell out on a used book? Girl, hey! I don't
0: have nine hundred dollars. <laughs> I am writing to the publishers tomorrow and I'm going to try finding me? it on some other obscure used book stuff. Because it's so fucking good. And mm. I'm upset that I lent it out to so many people and them don't return it and I said, Oh, well, you know, it's fine, I cannot. I'm changing that shit. If I lend you my book, you better return it.
1: I have learned okay. my lesson. I have a I have a couple books for you. I have pets. Really? I have uh, yeah. Jesus. Wow. You need to you need to keep track of that. I think I probably have one more book, I don't remember, but I definitely have pet for you. I need to go through and see. I think it's just pet.
0: yeah Yeah. all right well thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast and thank you to our patreon supporters and all of our patreon members you guys helped me pay for our podcast hosting and our website hosting last month so that was really great and i'm hoping we can have more patreon members so we can also improve our library and add more bookstore travel book club, which would have a lot more Caribbean books involved in it. So become a Patreon member. There's some really cool perks in there, including, or I guess it may become a new thing that we do, which is talking about TV shows or movies that have been adapted from books. We had a great conversation about Little Fires Everywhere with our Patreon members. So thank you guys so much and become a Patreon member because there's so much more cool stuff that I think we can be doing as a community, and you guys are—you guys seem to like it. So, and yeah, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rebel Women Lit. Are you guys going to say bye?
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, do we usually say bye? You see, no, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't oh, okay. Remember.
2: I think sometimes we do, sometimes we don't catch y'all at the next podcast
1: this was a great uh, conversation (laughs) I've been trying to go (laughs) um but yeah this was a great conversation guys um I was feeling a little down and hopped up hopped on and recorded this uh, podcast episode with you and I feel better so thank you for lifting my mood and I'm excited to read some of the books that you um uh listed. Uh, I haven't read A Small Place by Jamaica Kincaid and I haven't read um Kimilo's book. I mean like you, I have a long list of to be read books and that's there I don't have any shame in my game because eventually I'll read all of them. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode and remember to um, share our podcast if you found it interested and you know anybody who might be interested in it and follow us on the various social media platforms.
0: All right. Bye. See you at the club. Bye. Bye Bye, friends.